according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me once again in the book of Proverbs. I think this is Proverbs class this morning. It has been six weeks since we were last here together, so uh, I will uh, forgive you if you forgive me if we probably forgot something since uh, the last time we were here. We are in chapter 22, and I want to get right back to it and uh, back up slightly and kind of take it back from the top of the chapter again, and then uh, and then run our way through. In particular, um, the verse, uh, the first 16 verses is uh, if we can get through the first 16 verses um, by the end of the year, then that'll get to a great breaking point before the, the through the Bible year that we're going to do in in 2022. So anyway, we'll see, uh, we'll see what the Lord has planned for us here. A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. And that's the verse that starts the chapter. It really forms a heading for the verses that follow. And we'll, uh, we'll talk about that here shortly. Before we do, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer, calling upon our, our Father and His faithfulness to bless our time in His Word. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do come before you, your throne of grace this morning, thankful for your faithfulness, thankful for your truth, rejoicing in the privilege that we have to assemble together today and calling upon your faithfulness to manifest yet again every time we assemble in the, in the name of Jesus Christ. The, the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit is just so marvelous, Father. We thank you for the joy that we have to study to show ourselves approved. We uh, thank you for this day. We uh, commit ourselves now to your glory. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so Proverbs chapter 22. The one thing to keep in mind as we get started is a brand new chapter is that it's a significant chapter. And I know we've kind of been lulled into a complacency since chapter 10. So many of these chapters just kind of roll one into another, into another, into another. And it gets a little bit tedious. In fact, you can look at pericope headings and the top of the, the chapters here. And you've got... Um, on life and conduct, on life and conduct, on life and conduct, on life and conduct. All right, here we go again. It's just another chapter of Proverbs. Well, there is a significant break here in chapter 22 that really forms a, a division that takes us from, from 22.17 all the way to the end of chapter 24. And we're going to talk about some of those other divisions when we get to that point. Chapter 22 does contain a significant thematic break after verse 16. And so we do want to recognize that we're coming really to a conclusion. We're coming to a conclusion of a gathered body of material. And when, the, when these verses were put in this order, when this collection was, was canonized and these Proverbs were put in this order, this was the conclusion to the section. And so it was very deliberate putting these verses in, 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 this, uh, in this way was very deliberate. Uh, many scholars view Proverbs 10.1 through 22.16 as the primary Solomonic collection that was canonized in his lifetime. And so and that's probably the case. You know, we can't prove it. We don't know for a fact. None of us are quite that old enough to, to remember, uh, you know, what the book of Proverbs looked like uh, when, when Solomon died. But it, it very well could have been what we have today is Proverbs 1.1 through Proverbs 22.16. That's a natural break. And we do know for a fact when you get to Proverbs 25.1 
These also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, transcribed. And so chapters 25 through 31 were added later. They were added to the canon years later, after Solomon was dead, right? Now we don't have a problem with that. that, that we, but we accept that as a part of canonicity. We accept that as a part of the, the God-breathed inspired Word of God. That the Holy Spirit inspired the authors, but the Holy Spirit also inspired the collectors and the arrangers and the, the collators, the editors, all right? That there were manuscript updates at various points of Israel's history. Somebody took 150 Psalms and put them in that order. David didn't write them 1 to 150, okay? They were put in that order later, after David's lifetime. They were put in five collections. There's five books of Psalms, if you, as we understand it, as it exists today. So all of these things uh, are part of canonicity as we study it, so we're not afraid of it. We just recognize it for what it is. So we're going to pay attention to that thematic break and uh, the issues there. The textual break in Proverbs 22.17. Well, when you look at Proverbs 22.17, let me put that up on the screen as well. 22.17. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. And that appears to also be, yes? There's nothing on the screen behind me. There was a minute ago. Did you see a flash? How did it turn off? Uh huh. That's amazing. Okay. So I'm not losing my mind. It was on. You saw words on the screen. Okay. All right. Well, if that happens again, let me know. All right. Also, as long as we're in chaos mode right now, can somebody check the thermostat and see if the air conditioning is there? All right. Are you cold or hot? Okay. All right. According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I figured we might as well start over since everything else has gone wrong. Let's pray and let's uh, get back to Proverbs 22. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the privilege that it is to assemble together. And uh, we humble ourselves before you, Father. This word is your authority and uh, we don't deserve it. We have no business being here, but you choose to reveal yourself. And so we, we study to show ourselves approved. We thank you for being faithful in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so as I said, uh, this chapter really is a transition. It ends the first part of the book of Proverbs, uh, it, the, the, the dominant part of the book of Proverbs. Um, chapter 10, 1 through 22, 16 is the, the largest unit of this book. The first nine chapters dealing with parental wisdom, the first nine chapters where David and Bathsheba are pouring out their heart to Solomon, the my son, my son portion. Uh, great section, I enjoyed it very much as we taught it. But it was likely uh, added later. It was likely a later addition. And maybe Solomon put that up front 
and then added his own material after that. Uh, I suspect perhaps that was the shape of the canon when, uh, when Solomon died. When these other items were added, not clear, but obviously by the time we get to the life of Jesus, by the time uh, the Hebrew canon was closed, it was in the form that we presently have it. Uh, as we understand it, we, we've never seen a Proverbs manuscript that had it in a different order than, uh, than what we have here. Not from the Hebrew manuscript, mind you. Uh, Septuagint studies is, is another issue. All right, well, get me going on that. So 10.1 through 22.16 is the primary Solomonic connection, collection that was canonized in his lifetime. Whenever the first nine chapters were added to the front, whenever the final chapters were added to the end, we do know that it was in Hezekiah's reign uh, some 200 years later then that, uh, that those chapters were added. We have the text break in 22.17. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. That doesn't jump out at you in the English, but it sure in the Hebrew anyway seems to be a section heading, seems to be a title, seems to be a break, a thematic break. And there were many rabbis then took it as a break and then started tracking the words of the wise, the sayings of the wise, and started to track the number of them thereafter and, and, and identified them as a collection. If you have an NIV Bible, any NIV Bibles this morning, uh, if you, good for you. <laughs> I don't usually recommend the NIV, but if you do have an NIV, um, you're going to see those headings are there. New International Version. All right, here we go. 30 Sayings of the Wise. And uh, it goes ahead and takes that from the Hebrew manuscript, the sayings of the wise, okay, as if we haven't had 22 chapters of wisdom already, right? But uh, 30 Sayings of the Wise, and it starts to put them, in, insert them as pericope headings. So saying one is verses 17 through 21, and then saying two, and saying three, and saying four. Anyway, that's what the the, the NIV Bible chose to do. And they chose to break it down based upon the sayings of the wise and some of the traditional division that the Hebrew scholars uh, assigned to this portion of Proverbs. And, and, and they're not the only Bible. Other Bibles did something similar. Um, we'll have more to say on that as we get to that portion. Um, it's, it's an interesting study. They don't always agree with each other though. So sometimes they do their their breakdown differently to get to their 30 sayings. Um, well, we can talk about that as well. Obviously, chapter 25 and verse 1 is a, is a section heading because these also are the Proverbs of Solomon which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, transcribed. And so we, uh, we have that. Then Proverbs 30 and verse 1. The words of Augur, the son of Jacob, the oracle. This is a section heading. We don't know who Augur was. Uh, we don't know who Ithiel was or Ukul was. We don't know uh, any of these other things, but it appears to be a section heading and it appears to be that this chapter was added later. Likewise in Proverbs 31, who was Lemuel, King Lemuel? There's legends, there's traditions, and I go back and forth on this. I haven't made up my mind. You know, I've, I've got to figure it out sometime because I used to think, well, that was just a, a code name. That was just another name for, for Solomon. I'm not so sure now, okay? And I've done more study on it, and there's more. It's, it's not as simple as I used to think. So stay tuned for that. So we have these breaks. The chapter begins with integrity and grace. 
both of which are better than material wealth. And so as six weeks ago, the last time we were together, we were looking at verses 1 and 2. A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. And we talk about the elements of naming. What is the significance of a name? God's own name. He magnifies His Word in accordance with His name. And the name of God is, is worthy of worship. The name of God is, is equal to God Himself. It speaks to His reputation, His character, His integrity, His essence. His entire being is encapsulated in His name. And so He does not uh, share His glory. and he does not, uh, he, He's very protective of that name. His name is to be honored. Likewise with our names, likewise with other names as we study them. And if you name the name of the Lord, there is, a, there is a, uh, an issue there that we have to be mindful of. So integrity and grace, these are both better than material wealth. A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. So if you want to do the word studies on this, Shem is what you're looking at for name. I can't repeat everything we did six weeks ago. And then Bechin, the favor or the grace. When Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, we have uh, the vocabulary study there. All right. This is a new point three that you don't have because the old point three that you used to have six weeks ago, um, I went ahead and made that an A. So you still have it, but I've, I've renumbered it from, from back when we were last together. So this, this is what used to be main point three, the common bond for all humanity. I renumbered it. We're still going to talk about it this morning, but I went ahead and gave a, a different structure to the outline here. So I've got a main point three, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to take verses 2 through 16, and I'm going to put them all together in, a, in an A through uh, O outline and, uh, and just work our way that way through, through these verses. Chapter 22, verses 2 through 16 forms a miniature book of Proverbs. And really, it's a, it's a thumbnail. It, it encapsulates all of Proverbs in just these 15 verses. Uh, forms a miniature book of Proverbs summarizing the essence of proverbial wisdom in the lives of those with a well-grounded grace reputation. In other words, verse 1, where you have the reputation, you have the name, and you have the grace that is, uh, that is found. So again, a good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. That's what we receive when we live our lives according to God's wisdom. We have a good name and we live in the grace of God. We, have, we, have, we name the name of Christ. So we have the good name and we have the grace of God. And this is far better than silver or gold. And so when we're living our lives in the Word of God, when we're living our lives in the Word of God, then we have a a biblical lifestyle. We have the Proverbs way of life. And so we have a summary here in verses 2 through 16. And when, as we work our way through 2 through 16, um, we're going to find there's nothing new here. We're going to find everything in these verses we've already had earlier in Proverbs. We had it in parental wisdom or we had it in public wisdom or both. Okay, And I know we've been, some of us have been waiting to get to verse 6, we've been waiting to get to verse 7, uh, we have the train up a child on the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Uh, we've been waiting for that verse since the day we first started the Proverbs study all that time back. Well, we're getting there. But all of these principles are things we've already seen. This verse serves as a conclusion to the Solomonic material, a conclusion to this section of the book. 
So it is a miniature book of Proverbs. It does summarize the essence of proverbial wisdom in the lives of those with a well-grounded grace reputation, which is what we all want to have. So now under this then, verse 2 is what I've labeled now with a subpoint A. So if you have, uh, well, if you've already written this down, then you already have it in your notes on your paper as this was the old main point three. The common bond for all humanity, rich or poor, is our position as the imagers of God, created for His glory. This is the common bond for all humanity. This is what puts us all together in Adam or in Christ, about the positional truth realities as we understand them. But for humanity, the fact that we are human beings, that we are descendants from Adam, puts all of us on this same level, puts all of us as image bearers. We all image, we all bear the image of God. And this is uh, the truth of, of uh, a biblical anthropology as you, as you break it down. And forget what the world's telling you about human worth and human rights and human this and human that. They're approaching it from a cosmic, uh, pseudo, uh, unbiblical, atheistic, antichrist, satanic anthropology. And they'll, they'll tell you that we're just evolving from apes or whatever, monkeys, and, and uh, they, they substitute societal norms and standards for God's eternal norms and standards. And, and they're so lost and clueless they can't even figure out boys and girls anymore. That uh, you know, they would do themselves a huge favor if they just went back to the Bible and, and read how male and female He created them and let's just take it from there. Let's uh, humble ourselves under our Creator. But this is the common bond for all humanity. And so the verse, in verse 2, the rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. So we all are creatures in, under the, uh, the sovereignty of our Creator. That is the Creator-creature perspective. That is something we can't lose sight of, and too many people do. All right? Let's r- recognize our standing in the Creator-creature perspective. Not only that we are creatures under the Creator's sovereignty, but we are the, the highlight. We are the pinnacle. That it is the Father's good pleasure for humanity to be the pinnacle of this physical universe. Not the angels, not the trees, sorry for the tree huggers, not the whales, sorry for the, the whale huggers, all right? It's, uh, it's, it's humanity. Jesus Christ in Proverbs 8 said He had His delight in the sons of men. And that's vital. Adam was made, it's humanity that's made in the image of God. Not the angels, not the fish, not the birds, not the the creepy crawly things. So this is the common bond for all humanity. This is why abusing the poor is a mockery. And God doesn't tolerate that. That's why um, uh, when when we see the, uh, the rich and the poor, we have this in common and we're going to abuse the poor? How dare we? Because it's, you know, only the grace of God that puts us where we are. It's only the grace of God that puts them where they are. Do I think I'm better than them because I'm richer? Do I think they're worse than me because they're poorer? Why am I substituting human economic status for the absolute eternal values that God has vested in His image? So this is what we've got to work our way through, all right? Abusing the poor is a mockery that God will not tolerate. And we've seen this before. Uh, 22.2 is not the first time we've come to this issue. We, uh, we studied this back in 1431. He who oppresses the poor taunts his maker, but he who is gracious to the needy honors him. Aren't those beautiful principles? 
And they, they exactly go right along the line of what we're dealing with here in this issue. We're all in the image of God. We're all co-equal in our human worth, our value, our, our humanity. To oppress the poor for the sake of, because I can, because he's poor and I'm not, that doesn't give me license to victimize the, the, the person. In fact, it's taunting my maker when I do that. Taunts his maker. Either the taunter or the tauntee. It's not clear on the pronoun there. His maker. Is, is, is his maker the, the taunter's maker or the poor's maker? Well, it's actually both. He made us both. So we're taunting his maker. Um, however you handle the his. Either way. But he who is gracious to the needy honors him. You want to honor God? Be gracious. God's gracious. So be an imitator of God. Be, be a conduit of grace. Be gracious in your dealings with others because God is gracious in His dealings with others. And that's an honoring to God. Chapter 17 and verse 5. He who mocks the poor taunts his maker. He who rejoices at calamity will not go unpunished. <laughs> you, know, you think about things that have consequences and uh, not just, you know, the, 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 the glorious uh, sins and all the spectacular Romans 1 kind of sinfulness that we think uh, has consequences, and it does. But here's something with spectacular consequences. Uh, rejoicing at calamity. Laughing at somebody's misfortune. You know, and, and then acting as if somehow you're better than that. Acting as if somehow they're getting what's coming to them or whatever. Maybe it is divine discipline. Maybe it's undeserved suffering. Maybe it's who knows what it is. It's not your business. God's dealing with them on some level. And so we, is, it, is, it, is, is, <laughs> is God dealing with them? Whoever this person is and the calamity they're going through, whether you know the poor or whatever, they're going through a calamity right now. God's dealing with them. He's not, his purpose for what he's doing in their life is not to provide you the amusement you think you're supposed to get, <laughs> right? It's not to laugh at. It's not to rejoice over. He's not doing this to amuse you. He's dealing with them for His purposes, whatever they might be. And so perhaps I need to get on board with God's purposes in this and start praying on that basis as a fellow worker with God the Father. And I can be an intercessor, and I can be praying, and whatever the thing is. If it's divine discipline, maybe they'll learn the lesson. If it's undeserved suffering, that they'll endure uh, in grace for the glory of Jesus Christ. Whatever the calamity is, there's a purpose for it or God wouldn't have sent it. And so uh, I certainly don't want to uh, have a carnal enjoyment over somebody else's misfortune. 22.16. The same chapter now, and it's the conclusion to this paragraph we're dealing with. It really forms bookends, right? If, if, if verses 2 through 16 is this snapshot, then verse 2 opens it up and verse 16 closes it. Up, uh, closes it. So in verse 2 we have the rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. And then we, we wrap it up in verse 16. He who oppresses the poor to make more for himself or who gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Again, it's the, the, the issue here involved where we're abusing rich and poor, trying to manipulate things for our own gain. He who oppresses the poor to make more for himself or who gives to the rich will only come to poverty. You're going to steal from the poor to give to the rich? What are you doing that for? 
Anyway, that's oppression. So it forms bookends of this paragraph, verse 2, verse 16. It opens and closes this paragraph that we're looking at here today. Abusing the poor is a mockery that God will not tolerate. All right, then we get to verse 3. The prudent sees the evil and hides himself. The prudent sees the evil and hides himself, but the naive go on and are punished for it. Again, just like every other verse in this paragraph, it's not new. We've seen this before. Uh, This is a recap, if you will, of the entire book of Proverbs, and such is the case here. So subpoint B, prudent perception. (laughs) Prudent perception produces a practical perspicuity. You like that? Yeah. Prudent perception. That's the prudent who sees the trouble. He sees the evil and he hides himself. You decide, you know, this would be, this would be a good, t- good time to lay low. This would be a good time to run. This would be a great time to hide. It's not, a, it's not fear motivating it. It's faith that's motivating it. Now you can hide in fear, of course, but you can also hide in faith. Jesus did constantly. A lot of the prophets did. A lot of the apostles did. And so you want to have a practical perspicuity, which means uh, discretion, right? The better part of valor. A practical perspicuity. You decide, yeah, I'd be better somewhere else. (laughs) Not here. And this is what uh, happens. Now, you can ignore it. You can ignore the warning signs. God's wisdom is highlighting something that's a problem, and you decide to ignore God's wisdom, and you decide to uh, uh, do whatever you're going to do anyway, just, you know, act all naive and go on and act like, you. oh, I didn't see that. Oh, no, I didn't see that. You know, when uh, you know you did, your conscience knows you did, your soul knows you did, God knows you did. And so you just act all naive and you keep doing what you're doing, and then, then the discipline is even worse. You get a compound discipline in that regard. You're punished for it principle that we saw previously in uh, chapter 14. A wise man is cautious and turns away from evil. It's not a mark of fear. It's not a mark of immaturity. Uh, It's not a mark of of anything that says that uh, you're diminished in your faith. It's a mark of your wisdom. But a fool is arrogant and careless. The fool that just says, oh well, you know, I'm not a coward. I have faith. Uh, God will take care of me. You know, that's the knucklehead that would have jumped when Satan took him up on the high place and said, oh look, throw yourself down from here and, and the angels will catch you. Okay? That's not faith. That's foolishness. That's tempting the Lord. That's arrogance and carelessness. Yes, we have faith. But we also have doctrine. We also have the, the perspective to apply legitimately, to apply with wisdom and discernment uh, smart choices about what we're doing. So that calls for caution, that calls for turning away from evil. Proverbs 18.10 The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs to into it and is safe. Nothing wrong with hiding, just hiding in the Lord. Okay? Just, you know, run to the Lord, run to His name. Uh, keep yourself in his uh, in his reputation and in his integrity. That's what you do when you're claiming the promises, right? Or are you claiming the promises in your own name? 
<laughs> you no, know, it's in Jesus' name. You claim every promise. And so when you're claiming those promises, when you name the name of Jesus Christ and claim the promises, that's what the whole faith rest drill is about, it's as if, in metaphor, you're running into that tower. You're running into that tower, slamming the door shut behind you, and you're, there's no safer place to be. For the name of the Lord is a strong tower. He is. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the time of trouble. He knows the ones that, that trust in Him. The righteous run into it and is safe. Is safe. This whole thing on safety is a curious thing to me. I think we, we make safety an idol. God has provision for safety. It's called staying in His will. <laughs> okay? Keep yourself in the will of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself in the grace of God. Just keep in the will of God. And there's, there's no safer place. It might, be, it might be some physical danger out there, but it doesn't change the fact you're safely where you need to be in the will of God. That's Proverbs 18.10. Some of the ones, those are the ones we've gotten to already. Those are the ones that came prior to 22.3. Later on we're going to have a concept coming back again in chapter 27 and chapter 28. This is almost word for word like we're looking at in chapter 22. A prudent man sees evil and hides himself. The naive proceed and pay the penalty. Pay the penalty. There's a, there's a, there's a cost for that. There's a cost for that. And you know something? They don't mind. The fool loves it. It's just a cost of doing business. They're, they're doing what they're doing and if there's a price to pay, okay, they'll pay it because they're, they're having fun doing what they're doing. And so they pay the penalty. 28.12 When the righteous triumph, there is great glory. But when the wicked rise, men hide themselves. Nothing wrong with that. Okay? Doesn't mean you don't have faith. It means you have discernment. It means you understand a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. And who's on the ascendancy and who's not. And this, uh, this, this has a, a complete political application too with who's, who's your mayor, who's your governor, who's your president. What's going on with the authorities that are over you? Are they righteous? Hooray! Man, things are great when the righteous reign. But when the wicked rise, okay, God's still in charge. He's still sovereign. He puts the, he, he installs kings, he removes kings. Sometimes he puts in the, the, the basest of men. And sometimes we get a wicked king in the sovereignty of God. He puts them there for our discipline, for our judgment, for our chastisement, that we will learn our lessons, that we'll be humbled. Well, are we just going to proceed as if everything is all normal? Or are we going to have some discernment? Are we going to have some prudence? Is our prudent perception going to produce a practical perspicuity so that we can hide when we need to? Just understand, it's a time to lay low. Time to lay low, okay? In, in the spiritual realm, it's a time to lay low. And, and some people, I don't know, they just they feel like they want to stand boldly and they want to do whatever and then make themselves the number one target and whatever. And God bless you, you know, um, if that's what you're convicted to do. If you're led by the Spirit to do that, God bless you. But I'm not led by the Spirit to do that. Here's what I'm led by the Spirit to do. I'm going to lay low because I believe the wicked have risen. I believe that it's the time to hide. All right. Um, that's 28... 12. How about the New Testament? Hebrews 
prudent perception produces practical perspicuity. And it's almost a paraphrase of Hebrews 5.14, don't you think? <laughs> Solid food is for the mature. This is the meat of doctrine, the meat of the Word of God, not just milk doctrine, not just baby pablum that, that uh, a newborn gets. This is the, the real meat of doctrine you can sink your teeth into. And it's for the mature, who because of practice, not because of their know-it-alls, because they've, you know, it's not just a, a, an accumulation of knowledge that if you drink enough milk, you're automatically mature. Now, if you drink a lot of milk, you've, you've, you've drunk a lot of milk, <laughs> okay? The meat comes, uh, the maturity comes through practice. Because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. You have trained senses. You've got an eye for it. You can spot it. You've got an ear for it. You can hear it. You've got a nose for it. You can smell it. You've got a taste for it. All of your senses. You can see the wickedness. And maybe it's disguised visually, but you can still smell it. You can still taste it. Okay, All of your senses are engaged as you're bringing the Word of God to focus on the, the evils of this life. Because of practice, have their senses trained. And so the mature believer is, uh, that's who I want to be with in combat. I, wanna, I don't want to be with the, the, the babe drinking the milk that's clueless on, on these uh, things that are coming at us. Trained to discern good and evil. Having that practical perspicuity. Matthew 10, 23. There comes a time to flee. Now I believe this is tribulational in its application, but we can have a secondary application. There may be a season in the church age as well. Just read church history and you'll see there were countless eras where, where uh, believers are persecuted and, and an application could be made. We may have those times coming up as, as well. Whenever they persecute you, back up a little bit. Because there's going to be difficulty. I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpent and innocent as doves. Now this is the disciples during Jesus' first advent, but this is also going to be tribulational in its application for disciples, for Jewish disciples after the rapture. Sheep in the midst of wolves. It's certainly true in the church age. Are we not sheep in the midst of wolves in the church age? Of course we are. Beware of men. So we need to be shrewd as serpents, innocent as doves. Be, that's a, a practical perspicuity. Beware of men, for they will hand you over to courts and scourge you in their synagogue. And, and if, you're, if you're trusting in men, cursed is the man that trusts in man. If you think there's somebody that has your back and you find out, no, your faith is misplaced. You need to trust in the Lord because the one you thought was on your side is the one that handed you over brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. So if you, are, if you are engaged in the legal process and if you are arrested and if you stand trial and have to stand before a, uh, a judge, then understand, in undeserved suffering, understand it's not some strange thing that's happening to you. When they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. If you are in these persecution circumstances, it's because God put you there and He's got you just where He wants you. <laughs> so smile and relax and, and, and testify. Testify. You're going to have a message you couldn't give under any other circumstances. And relax about the specifics. Just make sure you've got doctrine in your soul, that you're grounded, 
Don't feel like you can just wing it if you've got nothing in there. You've got to store the Word of God in your soul. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. A brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents, cause them to be put to death. I just wonder sometimes. I mean, we have a culture now that everybody's against everybody else. And those that have been poked and those that haven't been poked and everybody's against everybody else and blaming this and blaming that. You will be hated by all because of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end that will be saved. Now this is We've got to be careful with this. This isn't a church age application. In the tribulation you can endure until the, the return of Jesus Christ so as to be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. So it seems like running away is a valid option. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. So when this really gets bad for Israel in the tribulation, they have, there's a calendar and Christ is going to cut that time short and come back. And this is what they're instructed to do. So there is a time to flee. And they're doing so in faith. They're doing so making an application of the Word of God in faith. So not a fearful fleeing, a faith fleeing. Matthew 24, verses 15 to 18. Therefore when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. The book of Daniel is, uh, has a lot of unfinished business. Things that were not complete prior to the first advent of Jesus Christ. Things that are still waiting. Waiting for the second advent of Jesus Christ. Waiting for the great tribulation of Israel. That 70th week. 69 of those sevens are, 70 are done, but the 70th one is still future. And Jesus says it's future. It says that that abomination hasn't come yet. Jesus is speaking, you know, 170 years after Antiochus Epiphanes, so don't confuse it with what the liberals tell you. Jesus wasn't confused. The abomination of desolation is future. Antichrist will bring that, will put that in the, in the temple during the tribulation. Let the reader understand. Those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Not in fear, in faith. The time has come. Flee. Whoever's on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in his house. So that, that takes too long. If you're on the rooftop, don't go down in through the house. That takes too long. Trying to, oh, I just need this. Oh, I've got to grab that. I gotta, you don't have time for that. <laughs> I mean, that's how I read it. Whoever's on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in his house. In my mind, just you're jumping off the roof and you're running. You don't have time to go grab anything inside the house. Your favorite cat or whatever it is you're trying to rescue. Okay. <laughs> Lydia's parked in the garage. <laughs> you think, oh, you don't have time. Jump off the roof and shouldn't be on the roof anyway. Whoever's in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. You don't have time for that. Woe to those who are pregnant, those who are nursing babies in those days. Pregnant women don't run very fast, okay? <laughs> they slow you down. Pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. You can't control the circumstances. You can just respond in faith in whatever circumstances God puts you in. 
then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. It's a day unlike any other day. It is a one-of-a-kind day, and there can only be one one-of-a-kind day. The day unlike anything before, the day unlike anything since, it's a one and only day. Just like the one and only God, the unique, the I am. This is the one and only day. It's, it's the time of Jacob's trouble. It's the great tribulation of Israel. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. You know, there's a calendar. There's a seven-year time frame. It's cut it's in half, two, three-and-a-half-year periods of time. There's 1,260 days maximum to reach the end of that time frame. But Jesus says He's going to actually cut it short. He's going to cut it short. He's going to come back early. Otherwise there's potential, Satan has potential to destroy all humanity if God doesn't cut it short. No life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, the chosen nation of Israel, those days will be cut short. How short? Well, we don't know. That's why he comes as a thief. Does he come a week early, a month early, six days early? We don't know. They don't know. They just have to endure to the end and be saved. They know the maximum is going to be 1,260, but it's not going to reach that because he's going to cut it short. Anyway, run. How about John 8, 59? These last three all come from the Gospel of John. So if hiding is a sin... We got a problem that makes Jesus a sinner. Anybody willing to do that? No, Jesus never sinned. So at the end of chapter eight here, he already called them, You are of your father the devil, and and all this stuff. You serve your father, I serve my father. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? You're not even 50. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. One of those great I am statements here in the Gospel of John. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him. I tell you, if you claim to be I am, that's blasphemy. Unless you are, I am. (laughs) Only Yahweh can claim I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but... Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus is not going to allow himself to be stoned to death when it, to, to obey the Father. He's got to go to the cross. He's got to go to the cross on Friday, April 3rd, okay, on Passover. So he won't allow himself to be murdered, to be martyred, to be killed one day too early. They were grabbing stones and Jesus says, all right. And so he hides himself. Whatever you know, prophetic capacity this is, we know that the prophets, Old Testament prophets, had miracle capacity for plagues and for other things, travel, transportation, running real fast, or teleporting different places, or just disappearing, making people go blind or can't see you, kind of thing. We don't know how he hid himself. And then, probably just invisible or whatever. Okay. And uh, walked out of the temple. Just walked right out the front door. They didn't even see him. How cool is that? Then uh, in chapter 10, different episode, but same Jesus. 
John chapter 10, and they want to stone him. This great eternal security passage, I give eternal life to them, they will never perish. Isn't this great? You do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. For you to lose your salvation means somebody has to have, you know, be stronger than Jesus, stronger than God the Son. Somebody stronger than omnipotence has to be able to yank you out of his hand. How's that going to happen? And it's even better than that. Because my Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So it's double omnipotence. When you got saved, God the Father handed you to Jesus Christ and said, here, don't lose this. <laughs> okay? And so Jesus took hold of you, but the Father never let go. The Father's still holding on to you too. So you got double omnipotence holding you secure. Isn't that great? And so who's going to snatch you out of the Son's hand? Who's going to snatch you out of the Father's hand? Somebody has to be stronger than double omnipotence for you to lose your salvation. You think you can do it yourself? You're stronger than double omnipotence? What are you doing? I and the Father are one. So the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered, this, I love this. Okay? I'm glad we had time to get this far. Because uh, this is Jesus' uh, sarcasm. Jesus was sarcastic. I think uh, my sense of humor would have really resonated with, uh, with Jesus on this. He says, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which one of them are you stoning me? <laughs> right? I showed you many good works from the Father. You know, he, the man born blind, he walked on water, he fed 5,000. I mean, think about all the miracles that he did. For which one of them are you stoning me? Just to be clear here. <laughs> The Jews answered him, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself out to be God. See, they missed the point that in a rhetorical question it doesn't really call for a real answer. Okay? Especially if it's a rhetorical question that's just full of dripping sarcasm. You don't need to answer that. It's like giving an answer to Balaam's donkey. Okay? If you're giving an answer to Balaam's donkey, who's the real donkey? Who's the real... <laughs> Okay? Don't give an answer. Your donkey's talking to you. For which miracle are you stoning me? So they answer, not for a good work, but for... So they admit that he's doing works of God. They admit that he's a miracle worker. But that's not why they're stoning him. Well, if he's doing divine miracles, then this, this can't be blasphemy. This is God in front of you. Or someone sent from God at the very least. Because you being a man make yourself out to be God. So Jesus answered, well, is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. You know, you PhD geniuses and you've, you've read this somewhere before, haven't you? If you call them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, <laughs> why do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world you are blaspheming because I said I'm the Son of God? Logically, you, you guys got a problem. Because in Psalms, he called those guys gods. And now I said I'm the Son of God, and you think I'm the one with a theological issue here? <laughs> You've got you to solve this before you stone me. 
If I do not do the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, (laughs) though you don't believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. See, this is the whole point for miracles. This is the, 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 they are the credentials. They are the validation of a prophet, a validation of a divine messenger. In the church age, it was the validation of the apostles and the prophets for the foundation of the church. That's why we're cessationist. We don't need signs and wonders anymore because there's no more Bible getting written. The church foundation is laid. Anyway. I am the uh, I am. The Father is in me and I in the Father. So therefore they were seeking again to seize him and he eluded their grasp. Again, I want to know. I hope this is on video. I want to see this. If, if Maybe in the other chapter it was invisibility. They just couldn't see him. He was hidden and he walked out. This one, he eluded their grasp. What was that like? Did his whole body just become extra slippery or whatever? I mean, was it just an oily or friction-free thing? Every time they grabbed him, they just... I want to see this. How awesome was this? He eluded their grasp. That's going to be pretty cool. So he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptized and staying there. There comes a time where you just, you know, I need to be out of town. I need to be beyond the Jordan. I need to be up on a lonely mountain somewhere. I need to be, I just need to get away. There's a time for that. That's not fear. That's not fear. That's faith. Finally, uh, John 12, 36. Hmm. All right. My soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. As the cross got closer... (laughs) You know, eventually all of these hiding assignments are going to end. Turning invisible, slipping away, going away. There's going to come a time, it's going to happen in Gethsemane, when the soldiers show up and it's now time. Okay? And uh, Peter tries to stop it and Jesus, you know, doesn't let that happen. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. It's why I'm here. It's kind of the whole point to coming. The virgin birth and everything since then, it's, this is, it's led up to this. Father, glorify your name. And a voice came out of heaven. I both glorified it and will glorify it again. Can we make this our prayer? Father, glorify thy name. You know, instead of, you know, take away my problem or solve this test or fix this problem or, you know, whatever. I don't like these circumstances. Change my circumstances. Instead of that kind of prayer, how about just, well, okay. These are the circumstances you've assigned me. Father, glorify thy name. Keep me faithful in these circumstances so that you have a greater glory. The crowd of people, they didn't understand. They just thought it was thunder. Others were saying an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Sometimes the test we have to endure is so that other people can learn the lessons. And God gets all the glory. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Come on already. (laughs) I want Satan in the lake of fire now. Why is he not yet cast out? And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. 
And he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. Now the crowd's confused. We've heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And theologically they're right. Christ does remain forever. You see, they've got to compare Scripture to Scripture. There's passages about the eternal reign. There's also passages about the suffering and death. Don't fall for the either or. Take them all together and they're both and. We've heard out of the law that Christ is to remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And Jesus answered them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. Understand that the circumstances are out of your control. For a little while there's a calendar, there's a time frame. We don't fix that. We, we pass through the, the time stream. Where we are, when we are. Function accordingly. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. But while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. And these things Jesus spoke and he went away and hid himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. Can you imagine? The vast majority of Israel rejected Jesus as the Christ. And my suspicion is quite a few of them were, were born again. They were regenerate waiting for the Messiah to come, Old Testament believers, Old Testament believers, and when they came face to face with Him said, no, that's not Him. How sad is that? And especially if they were steeped in arrogance, steeped in the Pharisee uh, legalism, steeped in their religion. I can see very easily, like the Apostle Paul, saved as a boy, saved as a youth, very humble, very eager, learning as a child does. And so he's an Old Testament believer looking forward to becoming Christ. And then he goes to uh, seminary and gets ruined as a Pharisee and gets steeped in, the, in all the arrogance and legalism and pride of, of his religion. To me, it's a miracle that Nicodemus got saved, that Nicodemus saw the Christ and recognized the Christ. But even Nicodemus was told, you have to be born again. He wasn't regenerate until John chapter 3. All right, so Jesus uh, disappeared from their sight, he slipped out of their grasp, and he hid himself from them. He hid himself. He was hidden from them, passive voice. So we need to know. There's a time to, there's a time to stand and there's a time to run. Either one can be done in the will of God. It has to be done by faith and obedience to, to the leading of the Lord. All right, let's look at verse 4. God rewards those who humbly fear Him. Proverbs 22, 4. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. This is where we'll pick up next week because I only have three minutes left. God rewards those who humbly fear Him. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord. So are you humble and do you fear the Lord? There's a reward for that. In fact, it's a Trinitarian, a threefold reward here. Riches, honor, and life. Riches, honor, and life. So you've got a week to think about it. Those riches, is that U.S. dollars, currency? <laughs> is that financial wealth of, in, of this world? Is that the mammon of, uh, of uh, secular currency? If you think so, uh, think that again. 
in the next seven days. Honor. Is that honor in this life? Okay. As we might be lightly esteemed in this life, probably will be. But the real honors and the true life, the abundant life that we have. See, there's folks that don't even have this abundant life that we're supposed to have because they're not living in the Word of God. Anyway, it's not, uh, not uh, Proverbs 22 4 is not the first time we've had this concept. We had it way back in chapter 3 with parental wisdom, we had it in chapter 21. We had a foundation for this in Psalm 34, a Davidic psalm that undoubtedly is the basis for Solomon's uh, Proverbs that he wrote here from Psalm 34. And then, of course, in the New Testament, it comes up in James chapter 4. He's opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Anyway, we'll pick up here next week. Uh, but we're going to keep working our way through. We've got C, D, E, um, all the way down through O. By the time we get down to verse 16, and that's going to that's kind of give us our thumbnail. We can take this paragraph, this paragraph, and teach the whole book of Proverbs right here. It's a, it's, a, it's a snapshot for the whole book. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for truth. I thank you, Father, we've had six weeks away from this Wednesday morning schedule, and I thank you uh, that we've had this day and just look forward to uh, continuing on. Lord willing and rapture pending, we give you the praise and the glory in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.